Hello, and welcome to the Puppet Playhouse Podcast, otherwise known as PPP, or for short. Now, in this episode, I'm going to look at something that has been a very fun pastime of mine for many years, role-playing. I'm sure you've heard of it, but do you know what it's really about? Have you seen it in action? Maybe you've seen it portrayed in Hollywood through TV shows like The Big Bang Theory or Stranger Things. Well, I would like to offer my viewpoint on role-playing. So sit back, relax, turn on that imagination station, and let's go. So what is role-playing exactly? Well, it's a game where those participating create a character, an alter ego, if you will, and they describe the actions of said character through speech. Players determine the actions of their characters through what is known as characterization, which an official definition would say the representation of persons in narrative and dramatic works. Well, what that really means is, as a player, you decide who your character is, what their personality is, what their core values are, belief system, and so on. This then determines their actions, which you describe to the group playing the game. So think of this as you being part writer, part actor, and part narrator, all rolled into one. Now, the various actions within the game succeed or fail according to a set of rules and guidelines, along with randomness that is worked out through the rolling of various types of dice. Within the rules, players are given the freedom to um, improvise, to, to think, to reason, and to make choices with said choices shaping the direction and outcome of the game. Each game has what is called a Game Master, who describes the game world and its inhabitants. Anyone or anything that's not a player character is controlled by the GM, as he or she is also called. The players describe their intended actions for their characters, and the GM will then describe the outcomes. Some outcomes are chosen by the GM, while others are chosen by the game system used, which would include using various dice. Now, that may sound a little bit complicated, but it's not. The Game Master, who, whoever's running the game, well, they have the most difficult job. Now, as a player, your job is to have fun. Knowing all the ins and outs of the game, it can be a benefit, but I really don't see that as a requirement. Now, let's dive into a very popular role-playing game that I still play to this very day. It's one that I discovered when I was in elementary school in the early 1980s. What am I speaking of? Dungeons and Dragons. Now, D&D, as it's also called, that was a game that I was introduced to through some older kids that I knew. Also... Kids who excelled academically where I attended elementary school were offered a chance to attend what they called a gifted class for part of the day a few times a week. I learned that their teacher in that gifted class actually allowed them to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I wondered, how did these kids get so lucky to be allowed to play? Why would a teacher even let them play a game during class time. And it wasn't until years later that things began making sense to me. Now, when you play a role-playing game like D&D, I do believe that it offers some positives beyond just having a good time. It can boost your creative thinking. 
You can learn how to work and cooperate with others. You can improve your problem-solving skills. You can you can make yourself, you know, learn how to be a better listener and a better observer. And these are just things that I'm thinking about off the top of my head. I'm sure I could come up with more given the time. And I also see role-playing as an excellent acting exercise. Now, if there's anyone out there who's an actor or a puppeteer, take, take note. note. Now, when you play a game such as D&D, now as a player, you don't have a script. You essentially make that dialogue up right on the spot. You interact with other players in the game, as well as what they call the non-player characters, or NPCs for short. NPCs are controlled by the Game Master. Now, if you have a good GM, they will make the world come alive. You will be given the chance to interact with a variety of people or characters, and, and you decide what your character is going to say and how and when they say it. It's a great exercise in, in ad-libbing and improvisation where you have to come up with dialogue on the fly. Well, maybe you're saying, well, improvisation is not my thing. You know, that's just not what I do. Well, if you're an actor, then think about a time when you might have been on stage and someone dropped a line or maybe they missed a cue. We know as actors that two seconds of onstage dead air feels like five minutes. So when that happens, it's up to someone to be able to keep things going and, and have it not look like something's wrong. Now, when you role play, that can offer you valuable exercise, as I noted earlier, so that if that time ever comes when you have to cover on stage, it just could be a little bit easier because you've got a handle on improvisation. Role-playing also relies heavily on your imagination. Now, games uh, like Dungeons & Dragons, they can involve maps and pictures, drawings, even figurines that represent characters and NPCs. But imagination, that is a key component because it's being able to see what's being described to you inside your mind much like the reading of a good book, how everything unfolds in your imagination as you're reading. So let's say that you want to start up your own D&D group, and I will be the Game Master, or GM. Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to choose what version of the game that we're going to play. Dungeons & Dragons was first released by the company Tactical Studies Rules, Inc. Well, that's a long title, isn't it? Or, well what we know, at least what I learned to know, TSR for short. And they came out with this in 1974. Now, over the years, there have been several editions released to the game, with the most recent one being D&D 5th edition, released in 2014. Now, for our little exercise, I'm going to be using 2nd edition from 1989, as I have most of the released material from that edition, and I'm most familiar with it. Now that we know what version of D&D we're going to use, we need to decide where we want to place our game within this D&D universe. Now, over the years, TSR has released a number of box sets, as they were called. And these uh, basically just offer detailed information on a variety of game worlds with which you could play. And the one that I chose is called Mastara. 
Now, Mistara was originally developed by Lawrence Schick and Tom Moldvay under a title called Known World. Now, in 1994, a box set was released, and it was named Mistara, which expanded upon their Known World from years earlier. So now we have our rules, as well as the location in place, Mistara. And next, we would want to fill the players in on the game world in which their characters will be inhabiting. Now, the box set's going to offer a lot of information about that world. But I also like to adapt the world to my own ideas. Because, hey, it's your game. So feel free to create that game world how you desire it to be. Now, my version of Mastara is set up like medieval Europe, circa mid-14th century. So if you know your history, then you have a good idea already of the fads, the fashions, society, daily life, etc. Now, we can look at the known world, and we can see a triangle, and known world being Mastara, and see a triangle. And that means the nobles are at the top of the triangle, and those connected to the church and religion are on one side of the bottom and everyone else on the other side. Now, this is sort of the pyramid that you can use to diagram our actual medieval times. And since we're transferring this mid-14th century to Mastara, well, that's how it is in our game world. So we're starting at the top. Who are the nobles? What are they? Well, simply put, nobles are people with money, power, and influence. You're not made a noble, you're born into it, right? Now, the others, which would be the religious, church, all that there, and then everyone else, peasants and the like, I think that's fairly self-explanatory. The average man on the street falls under everyone else, and typically... Player characters would as well, but they don't have to. Now, speaking of the average man on the street, he or she believes that, well, they are right where they're supposed to be. You know, meaning that who or whatever created the world created it the way it was meant to be. If it was supposed to be something different, well, then it would have been different. And since it's not, then that's the way things are meant to be. Now, we do have those who are thinking outside the box, just like in our real world. Some who feel that, well, they were given smarts and and certain skill sets to to maybe rise above and beyond their current social status. What if making life better for yourself isn't a bad thing? What if it's okay to want more and to actually get more? You know that uh, if you do have the ability to get more, then that must mean that the higher power must be okay with you doing it or you wouldn't be able to do it, right? Now, this type of thinking isn't widespread yet in our game world, but it's a movement that's slowly growing. And just like in our real world in Europe, it's sort of like the middle class beginning to form up and come into their own. Now, in our game world of Mastara, I hate to say it, ladies, but it's a man's world after all. Now, I know that's probably not what the ladies want to hear, but such life was our own history. And remember, we are 
sort of modeling our game world after history. Now, you may ask, well, what if someone wants to play this Xena Warrior Princess type from 90s TV? Well, sure, that's doable. Because I do hope that ladies want to play D&D. But most of the game world will look upon that person with curiosity and maybe even just a little bit of fear. Because most people live a normal life. They eat, they sleep, they work, they have families. So choosing to wear armor, to carry weapons, to have equipment, and to kind of travel about doing odd jobs that happen to utilize these weapons and armor and things, well, that's simply not the norm. And then you throw in a female, a lady, who is doing these things. Well, now you've pretty much put icing on top of an already ginormous cake. Now, think about your own life right here in the good old 21st century. Now, do you know anyone who has chosen to just wander around the U.S. doing whatever? They don't have a home. They don't have a real job. They're just moving from place to place, and they're just doing whatever to get by. And, and maybe you might know someone that you can say, yeah, I know someone that does that, or you might know more than one person. But when you place them against everyone else who lives like everyone else, you know, they have a house, they have a job, they have a family, they have a, they have a community, all that. Well, it's going to put those sort of nomadic types in the minority. And I really like that for our game world. Now, adventurers, that's what they are called by a lot of games. Well, they're not a dime a dozen, as the old saying goes. Because most people in the world, the average person on the street, they don't even wear armor. They don't use weapons. And they don't want to know how to wear and use those things. That's why they have the the watch, you know, the, the local police. That's why they have the government, the king, and all of that, you know. That's why they exist. And think about your own community or your neighborhood here in our 21st century. How many of your neighbors are skilled in weapons, combat, and tactics? And we're talking a lot of training here. Not I've got a shotgun or whatever to protect me and my family. I mean, we're talking military grade, CIA, FBI grade, special ops type training. Right? Well, maybe if you can say, well, I I know a guy or I know a couple of guys who live in my neighborhood. They're still going to be in the minority. And that's the basic idea that I'm going for in our game world. Why? Because material written for games like D&D and even there's lots of video games and, and then, you know, MMOs, massively multiplayer online games like um, Warcraft and such, they treat the adventuring character type as the norm. As that, well, everybody does it. Everybody has a weapon and they know how to fight, you know how to do this. But I like to reverse it because I like to make the game closer to real life. And if we're honest, in real history, in the medieval times, most people did not have weapons and armor. 
one, they couldn't afford it. And two, even if they could, they didn't know, didn't want to know how to use it. And I think we could say the same thing in our modern era, too, with weapons and things. The average person doesn't know, doesn't want to know. Now, within our game world of Mastara, we're going to be playing within a kingdom called Karamikos. Now, this realm is set up, as we say, as a mid-14th century European kingdom. And it's ruled by King Stefan, a benevolent ruler who does his best to treat his populace well. And he takes care of their needs. Now, let's talk about magic. Because magic in our game world is very real. But the average person on the street doesn't know how to use it and doesn't want to learn, right? Now, you can't really have a fantasy game, I think, without having magic. Because it's everywhere. Warcraft, World of Warcraft, it has it. Skyrim has it. Most of your RPGs, JRPGs on consoles, they have magic. And, of course, we have magic in Dungeons & Dragons. But as I say, the average person doesn't know how to use it and doesn't want to learn. They get by fine just without it. They don't need it. And they don't usually trust what they don't understand. They do recognize magic has its uses, but they prefer to let those who are trained and skilled in the art and craft to do that. Now then, going on with magic, what about magic items? Because most of your console games and your MMO games, they have magic items that you can find. And D&D is no exception because they have them. But I want you to consider this. In the Arthurian legends, there was only one Excalibur. Now think of how different the Arthurian legends would be if There were multiple, dozens, hundreds of Excaliburs. And that's why in our game, World of Mastara, simple magic items, like a weapon that may offer a bonus, that's going to be fairly common. But the greater items, something on the level of an Excalibur, well, only a handful are going to exist. Maybe even only one is going to exist. And I think... That makes it so much more meaningful and significant when a player finds that item. So, one of the last things that we do before we play is we've got to create a character. Choosing who you want to be, what you want to do. Not only do you decide their physical attributes, like hair, eyes, height, weight, etc., but you can choose a race and a class, which is basically a profession. Now, much of this can be chosen by you, though there are some things that are randomly generated that can tell you the basics about your physical and mental abilities. Now, there's quite a bit to this character generation. And so I think, you know, if you're going to do it right, you're going to take it's going to take some time. And when all is said and done, the sheet of paper that you're left with is your is like um like a script for a play or for a movie. It's like a roadmap to everything about your character. How strong are they? How fast? How agile? How healthy? How smart? And we're talking book learning and even street smarts. Are they a good leader? Are they persuasive? And we're really only scratching the surface here about what all the numbers mean, but you get the general idea. 
We could spend a lot more time on character generation, but right now we're just kind of hitting highlights. So now you have your character. It's time time to play the game. game. And when you do, you You are are that person. person. Now, don't be you just playing a game. Think as they would think. They being your character. Act as they would act. Now, when you speak while you play, well, speak as they would. And if you want to throw an accent and you can do one, well, go ahead. But if you can't, then don't worry about it. It's not about the character voice. Now, if you can do voices, sure. But if you can't, don't worry. Because the main thing here is I want to see you develop who this person is and treat it like you're playing a character on stage, maybe even in a film. I think the game's going to be much better for it, and I think it's going to be that much more fun for you and everyone else, too. As we're playing the game, dice are going to be used to decide if you succeed or fail at whatever action you're trying to do. Now, that could be anything from swinging a sword at a monster, climbing a wall, trying to remember directions that someone gave you, uh, persuading a group to follow your lead. The game master was going to have you roll a specific die, and he's going to tell you if you succeed or you fail based on the roll. Now, sometimes it will be whatever number, X or higher. Other times, X or lower. And there are also modifiers that can get added to what you roll based on various things. But when all is said and done, the GM is going to inform you of the consequences. You'll either do what you wanted to do or you won't do what you wanted to do. So let's say you're trying to swing at that monster. You may hit it, but depending on the roll, it could be a really good hit versus a normal hit. You can also find out where on the body that you hit the monster. So what if you miss the monster? With the wrong roll, you could totally botch or what we call fail and And you could have some not-so-great consequences, like maybe you trip and you fall, or you could even hit a friend. Ooh, that wouldn't be good. And for my game, if you have to get X or less on a die to succeed, then the lower you go, the better you do. And if you have to get X to hit that monster, only getting X or better is going to hit it. And anything less, you're going to miss it. Though, just remember that we do have those modifiers to come into play, and they can turn a miss into a hit, and vice versa. Now, in our next episode, we're going to listen in on a typical session that I might run with a group of friends. I'm going to be the Game Master, and we're going to have five players that will be on tap to go through part of an adventure, as we call it. And... And we're going to introduce them to you next time. And I'll be providing the character voices as well as the GM. And you can kind of get a good idea of what one of my game sessions just might be like. Now, before we go, I just wanted to thank Daybreak Digital Studios for the amazing editing that they've done on this podcast. And I know that they can help you with the recording and production side of all of your audio needs. And if they can do it then they know the best in the business who will be able to do it for you. So make sure that you check out Daybreak Digital Studios, please, and tell them 
that Puppet Playhouse podcast sent you there. They'll enjoy it. And last but by no means least, I want to encourage everyone to please check out Steve Trash Science on PBS. If your local PBS station doesn't have Steve Trash Science, send them a letter and tell them they need to carry it. But you can also go to pbs.org, the main PBS website online, and search Steve Trash Science. You can also be found on Chromecast and Roku, the PBS app for all your devices. And Steve Trash has a YouTube channel, and you can find it on YouTube as well. There are 10 episodes to season one, and it's all about magic, science, puppets, music, learning, and fun. We are in the process of getting ready to try to shoot season two, but for that to come off, we've got to have money. And money's what makes the world go round. So if you would like to be a sponsor for Steve Trash, then just reach out to Steve and let him know that you would like to be a Steve Trash sponsor. And maybe you know some giant corporation that has lots of money in the bank. Like those corporations you see on PBS already before and after a show. Well, have them look us up. We would love for you or one of them to be a Steve Trash Show sponsor. You can even take that donation and write it off on your taxes. Well, I want to thank you for always being who you are and being the best you you can be. And remember, never goodbye, always good journey. This is William Freeman signing off.